We have big expectations, but we also recognize this is a process. And I'll just say this, it is a process. As Dan said, we know it's a process, um, and we're in the process. I had many conversations with Nico throughout the process. As we plan this process out, but it is, like I said, it's a process. I'm going to repeat Dan's word, but it's, it's a process. As, as I mentioned before, sorry, sorry to be repeating this, but it's, it's a process. Again, sorry to repeat this, but it's a process. Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. Soccer 90 is your source for all FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Everything from jerseys, scarves, tees, and more. All Third Degree listeners receive 25% off all other gear when you use the code ThirdDegree at checkout at Soccer90.com. Well, hello there, FC Dallas curious fan, especially the number of you that I suspect are newly curious to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. I believe it is number 145. Hi, me, Peter, that Dan, that's Buzz. Let's screw the pleasantries and introductions and get to the good stuff. Buzz, Dan, who has stolen my soccer club and what have they done with them? Uh, well, apparently the hunts have stolen it from themselves because it's very different than it has ever been before, at least this week anyway. So it's exciting. Scouting times. I don't know. I'm very suspect. Something weird's going on. This just is not the FC Dallas I know and love. Dan sounded more like a robot in the press conference than usual. I think he's been subbed out. <laughs> yeah. Body snatchers have taken him. Maybe there's an alien race that have stolen the entire front office and, and uh, replaced them with people that look exactly alike them, and they're just doing things different. Uh, from Buzz's Discord, Third Degree Discord, Big B wrote today, The last few weeks have me far more optimistic about FC Dallas than I have been in some time. FCD went outside the organization for a manager. The Hunts held on to Pepe until crazy money came in. They signed Jesus to a DP contract. The FO has been aggressive in the draft. The Hunts and Zanata appear to be shopping for quality goods overseas, and they appear to be looking internally at MLS targets and are ready to make a deal. It seems to me like a change in attitude, and I like it. Buzz, I gotta say, I kind of like this version of FC Dallas, even if it is an alien race that's replaced everybody. Yeah, it's, this is a little more to your liking. Uh, you know, we, we've talked uh, over the last three years, we talked about a lot, sort of a general decline season from season to season in the roster. And as much as people, you know, inside the organization, apparently were blaming Lucci at the end for a lot of those kinds of things. How many times did we say, it's the players, man, come on. You cannot have a steady decline in your roster and compete. And maybe they finally woke up to that because they sure are acting differently this offseason than they've acted maybe since forever, but at least since Oscar was here, we have not seen this kind of aggressiveness from season to season. And it, it is pretty exciting times to be around the club, and it certainly gives us lots of stuff to talk about. Dan, this is very unusual feeling, isn't it? It is. You know what's really unusual? I feel like I've become you because I'm like, yeah, but what are the results of this? <laughs> <laughs> Come to the dark side, Daniel. Yeah. Uh, it's two against one now. <laughs> uh, well, we should probably get down to some of the reasons why everybody has a good vibe. And, uh, you know, obviously the sale of Pepe for $20 million was great. Signing Jesus to a DP deal worth $2 bucks a year, which they also announced this season, was great. 
they had their first uh, training sessions this week, and it's always good to get out and see the guys practicing. But it is the news that Dallas is actively shopping to try to get Argentinian wonder kid uh, Mr. Velasco from Independiente for an amount of money that I don't think I ever imagined, at least before the year 2030, the Hunt's ever spending in transfer fees somewhere north of 7 million macaroons for a 19-year-old kid. Yeah, you know, the previous record around here, we think, uh, you know, because they don't disclose everything, we think is Brian Acosta for, you know, roughly three, three and a half, whatever he was. So you're, you're talking about a deal, double that uh, for a 19-year-old, which is crazy talk. But before that, the most expensive 19-year-old, I think, is uh, Fabian Castillo, who was about 875k or something like that. So you are paying a premium, of course, for young talent, the theory being that at some point you can sell them on for a lot of money. But if you're, if you're talking about doubling your previous buy, I mean, that's that's sure. Some of that is taking advantage of the peppy money. And if I want to be incredibly cynical, maybe some of it is a recognition that they're about to get blasted by everybody and all their fans if they don't do some of this kind of stuff when you have peppy money coming in. But uh, it still is a, as we said, when Pepe's deal happened, this is a going to cause a change in the organization. I don't think we expect it to be as much as it is, but it's, it is a shift in the amount of money being tossed around. Uh, and some of, the, some of the people that are trying to claim a certain amount of money on this deal are just out of this world crazy. But um, the ones that are more reputable seem to be floating around this seven to eight range, depending on percentages of sales or or, uh, you know, incentives and such, uh, you know, if anything will actually get done is yet to be determined. Um, but you're, you're right. It's exciting and fun to speculate and to watch all the leaks happening as, as the various clubs and agents try and raise the price or get new teams to come in other than just Dallas to raise the price. You know, and it is limited a little bit because the kid doesn't have a European Union passport. So that limits some of his options to a certain extent. But, um, Boy, it sure is exciting to see the club that that we all write about all the time and cover all the time change their ways in a significant, for them, significant way. Dan, what can you tell us about uh, young Alan Velasco? I, I really can't. Uh... <laughs> I think that's the thing, right? Like we don't, nobody, I mean, how many people are, that are Dallas fans are actively watching the Argentinian League uh, week in and week out? Also, I think, you know, we kind of make a, a bit of an effort to kind of get to know an incoming player when it seems a realistic proposition, but it's still, like you says, it's kind of, this is so far outside the, the wheelhouse of FC Dallas. It's kind of like, are we sure they didn't just get the club name wrong in Argentina? (laughs) (laughs) That's possible. Did they get mixed up with Dallas FC? Yeah. Well, that's possible. Now, I have done a little bit of reading about Velasco and looked at a bunch of stats, and it appears that he we won't. Now, don't be shocked if a guy shows up and he's about the size of Joselita Vaca, uh, a little dude, and looks like he may actually be on the U-17s or something because he's not a big guy, but apparently he's got skill to burn and can play anywhere across the front line, but particularly is uh, talented coming off the left side. Uh, Buzz, based on any kind of uh, uh, kind of research you've done on him, how do you feel he fits in? I mean, part of the problem of this is we don't even know what Nico Estevez is going to play in terms of formation or what his tactical uh, setups are. How do you think he fits in with all this stuff? 
Well, the one day of training that I saw this week, uh, you know, the, the, it was base 4-3-3 look that we were expecting. That doesn't mean squat when you got a, a month and a half of training left, but um, at least out of the gate, that's the thing. Um, and the kid, it's not just that the kid can play uh, left wing. You know, you're looking at a guy, at least on the limited tape I've seen, you're looking at a guy that plays a sort of full swing style, which is, um, if you will, if you'll, if you'll think about the way the U.S. plays – it's a player that has the same sort of general vibe as Pulisic or a Gio Reyna, a guy that is ostensibly a winger, but you'll find them coming underneath a lot into the hole underneath the strikers. You know, that, that kind of player that can pick up a ball and beat a couple of guys on the dribble. So that's the kind of positional, I think if, if we assume that we're looking at a Greg Bellharter type system from the national team as the best example we have, because Nico hasn't been a head coach until now. You know, that's the kind of jam is that guy that can be on the outside and cut in at an angle, drift underneath, pick up the ball, go up the middle if necessary. You know, it's filling some of the same spaces that you would expect the eight to come out of midfield. You know, so, so those are the kinds of players that you can look for that, that kind of impact. Now, it is important to remember that he is just 19. Uh, if he does end up coming here, there will be a little period of adjustment. It is MLS is a very vertical, very physical league. The little bit of tape I watch, he does look pretty physical, like he's willing to take a hit and keep going, which is a trait you obviously like in a guy who dribbles. So he does both create and score, you know, from what we've seen. So um, there's plenty to be excited about. Uh, and, and certainly he fits, in my mind, he fits the expectation of the tactics we're expecting as we go forward. Are you surprised at all that when the hunt, when it came time for the hunts to spend, literally 2x what they've ever spent in transfer money it it looks like they're spending it on a winger no because if if you're going to um play a dynamic attacking team and in the the press conference the other day dan hunt spoke a lot about um what's a pretty macro level thought was looking at the goal differential and being unhappy with it and we talked a whole lot about the defense giving up a lot of goals but it seemed pretty clear from that press conference that he also meant offensively as well, particularly when you lose a player of Pepe's stature. You're going to say, where am I going to get those goals back? And they're pretty confident that uh, Jesus Ferreira can be the nine. you know. And so clearly, like if you're looking for a more dynamic uh, offense, you have to make some adjustments at the wing positions if you're playing this 4-3-3. Um, you know, they have one guy that's an eight-capable of getting that forward role kind of out of, out of there like you would like Paxson to do. And so they probably need another body there. But if you're talking about spending crazy money, then wing and striker is where you do that. That's where your true difference makers in this particular system play because you don't use a pure 10. You don't have a role for a Mauro Diaz here in this setup. Uh, over the course of the day, there's been lots of social media back and forth, as you said earlier, from accounts that are both uh, reliable or um, established and some that are not. But the number, the back and forth between the clubs apparently is going on uh, and the number seems to be going up. Again, I don't know how many of these reports of the number going up are reliable, but the number I keep seeing lately is $10 million. And Dan, I can't really kind of cotton in my head. Frankly, I can't cotton in my head $7 million for the hunts when last year they spent $12 million on their entire wage bill. Yeah, that, that kind of seems a little bit just just beyond the, the pale. Um, maybe 
maybe Dan did get a little bit trigger happy and said, I want to spend the value on my house. Um, who knows? Yeah, well, one of the weird sort of adjustments, Peter, is like you mentioned that there's all these discussions going along, at least based on reports we're seeing. It seemed like today might have been an adjustment where the amount of uh, sell-on was changing. So that was sort of like, to me, I, I took a subtext from that, uh, that we're sort of starting to reach the limit of the hunt money, which is the, or the willingness hunt money, excuse me, the seven to 8 million kind of thing. And then you say, oh, so-and-so like, oh, they want us to go to 10. Well, then we saw this adjustment from 10% to 20% sell on. So, you know, you're getting, that means you're getting to a phase of discussions where they've kind of agreed on a base and now we're sliding different elements of it up and down to try and find the right mix to make all the parties happy. You know, there was discussions today of what is it that the, the team or one or the other team having met with the agents and ironing out what that part needs to be and some various things. So uh, the read today was very complicated, final little tweaks and twerks and twisting of knobs and getting it all right. This is where it kind of slows down a little bit because of the way the hunts do business. We've seen other deals outbound slow down at this stage. So, um, you know, could be as early as tomorrow, could be a week or could never happen depending on how things break from here because you can have things fall apart at a stage like this. You know, for example, another team coming in and dropping 20 million when everyone else was at 13, as we saw with Pepe. Yeah, you know, that was weird because when this whole thing started to uh, percolate on social media that this was going down, something about it, and you, the three of us were talking about this in our chat group quite a bit over the last couple of days, and I know I tend to be pessimistic and question these things, but I did, it just something about this whole thing just seems really weird to me. Because, again, I know nothing about Alan Velasco. I don't even know if I'd heard the kid's name before uh, Monday of this week. Uh, and But the idea that somehow FC Dallas, of all clubs in the world, was the one club that this kid, who by all accounts is one of the top five 19-year-old Argentinian players uh, available on the market who I guess uh, is rated in different places well over $10 million, and the club originally had asked a lot more money for him a year ago um, and different you know iterations of that story, somehow was coming to Dallas on some discount rate. Just didn't smell right to me. And I wonder, Dan, you know, as we move forward through this, should we anticipate that other bigger clubs may come in and go, well, I'll give you $7.5 million or $8 million for him? Quite possibly. I mean, they could just be driving the price up. Uh, I believe he's got a release clause, which maybe they're just trying to go, you know, kind of in that, I think it's uh, in a $20 million range, but the closer you get to it, someone eventually goes, ah, oh, screw it. Let's do it. Yeah. So Dan, my next question for you is, is that if for anybody that's like, well, I don't know if we have 7 million is okay, but I don't know if, if if Dallas should spend $8 million. Is there a reason to be worried that the hunts may just get super antsy and actually overpay at some point? Is there too much money they could pay for the kid? Uh, yeah, probably those, uh, those, uh, what would it be? Uh, those eight-figure transfers that, that where they were getting up to like twelve million plus. That's so just kind of throwing money for the sake of it. Then, uh, I mean, the kid's contract runs up in a year and a half's time. You could just go ahead and you know, if, if he wanted to come here, which it doesn't, you know, from all the social media posts and the and the interviews, it doesn't sound like he really does. Uh, 
you could just go and poach him at that point anyway, and he's going to be 20 as opposed to a Frank O'Hara situation where he's 85. All right, that's a good that's a good uh, uh, point there I want to focus on for a second, which is as great as he was for the club, there were significant portions of the Mauro Diaz time where you felt like you had a really petulant guy who wanted to be anywhere else other than Frisco, Texas. That is something... It, is there a reason, do you, Buzz, do you think to be concerned that you're getting a guy that's being told to go somewhere because it's a money thing and he doesn't really want to go there? Yeah, I, I think that um, to a certain extent, he doesn't have as many options as other guys might because uh, allegedly he does not have a European passport and that depresses his value a little bit. And that would also be true for Dallas. Like if, if you're thinking you're going to bring him in and in a couple of years, you're going to sell him to Europe for big money. Well, that'll be harder you know, because he doesn't have, if it's true that he doesn't have a European passport. Right now, of course, the markets are depressed everywhere because most places are struggling for money, you know, whether it be through their own TV deals like in France or whether it be just because of the nature of COVID hurting people's numbers and stuff. You know, right now, MLS and its owners are some of the more wealthy, stable owners around. And so they can offer more money than a lot of other people can right this minute. So depending on how desperate for money you are, you know, you can kind of see where a club might not get more right now than they would like, particularly as Dan pointed out that he does only have, if, if that is also correct, because again, you never know with some of this reporting, you know, that, that he only has a year and a half left. You know, it's the difference between 19 and 20 is, is not that significant. You know, they could wait for him. And, and if it turns out that they're going to go ahead and go now, it really is, again, saying something different about this club, that they recognize that the market's down and they better go ahead and do it even if it costs some money, because if they wait a year, year and a half, maybe the market is more stable and maybe there's a whole bunch of people that want him and a whole bunch of people can offer more of a pay scale than SC Dallas will be able to because we still have a salary cap here. You know, he'll be a DP player more almost certainly. Again, that's another problem they'll have to solve, which we'll get to later. So there's a whole lot of what ifs here with this player. What I will say is that based on again, the limited tape and the limited interviews we've seen since his name got linked to the club. You know, there is a gritty, tough mentality on display with the kid, um, which you got to like. He doesn't look soft by any means, you know, and, and so far, as near as I can tell, he's, a, he's able to stay healthy because that was one of the biggest knocks on Morrow is that he only started 50% of the games for which he was technically eligible for this club and only played in like 70%. So it's like there was a massive chunks of time where he was just not available, which yeah. is not something you wanted to be doing when that was your highest paid player of all time at the time. You know, this doesn't seem to be a problem with this kid, knock on wood. So, um, but again, you know, you are talking about a 19 year old. This is not assume he's going to walk in and be ready. You do have a shoon on that side over there who's more polished and more ready to go at the minute, you know? So, um, we, we have talked all winter prior to this about the need for the club to bring in some wingers because of the fact that uh, Shun was going to be gone a lot and there was no second body on the right. And you really, even if you had Shun all the time, you weren't a hundred percent convinced he was a world beater yet. Although his assist per minute rate is really nice. So again, this club's doing things that differently than they ever have before. It's super exciting. Hopefully it translates to other phases of the organization than just the player staff. 
because you really like I really like what we're seeing happen with the playing staff. Even if I don't like every single little step, the aggressiveness of it all is really exciting. It does make me wonder if we're in a situation with Dallas. It's kind of the, on the opposite side of the table uh, from where they sat just a week or so or a few weeks ago uh, with Pepe and Osberg, where, you know, I don't think it's unfair to say that Osberg really liked Pepe and probably paid more for him than they needed to just because they really wanted him to win that gig. And I do wonder if that kind of thinking is applicable here with Dallas and Velasco. Well, one of the differences I think between those two situations is um, uh, apparently with Augsburg's American invested owner, there was an appeal uh, to Pepe in terms of trying to get into the American market. I don't think that an Argentine 19 year old winger is going to have that same sort of marketing PR sales effect for FC Dallas. Yes. The hardcore soccer fan will recognize that they're spending money for an exciting attacking young player, but that's not at all the kind of move that's going to be like, you know, sell you kits or something in, in other countries. You know, that's not, this is not that kind of player um, or name or personality, you know, um, uh, so I, I don't know that the hunts would be thinking that big picture. This seems to be a, f- a soccer move only, which I'm okay with at this, at this number. If, if you're going to get into peppy numbers, then I would want that kind of component. And I'm not sure that that's here for this kid. All right. Uh, on a scale of one to 10, Dan, how excited are you or how, well, actually it's probably, I shouldn't say excited. Uh, where do you, do you think this deal actually happens? No, I'd have been better with a scale of one to ten. Um, I'm no, you don't s- have to scale it. Do you just? I just mean in general. Do you think I should just ask it this way? Do you in general think, in, in your gut, do you think uh, Velasco's coming to Dallas? I'm gonna say no. Okay. Any reason in particular? Uh, it just feels too good to be true, honestly. <laughs> I totally feel you, Dan. All right, Buzz. Do you think it's happening? I'm about 60, 40 that it's not happening uh, just because there seems to be a lot of um, manipulation of this one in terms of like people leaking to try and either push the price or get somebody else to come in or the player not being super excited. There seems to be a whole lot of extra things happening around this one that make me wonder if it's not all just like smoke, you know, for somebody's agenda in Argentina. So I'm not super confident that, and I think in the end, uh, there's a there's a there's at least some level of likelihood that that really uh, somebody will refuse at the last hurdle of like, no, we really want twelve, or we really, or no, he doesn't really want to sign, or maybe the player wants five million a year. I don't know. Just something about it to me feels uh, not not thin, but just sort of a murkiness around the whole thing feels slightly off. And so I'm not convinced it's happening either. Man, that's going to suck because I get a really good sense that the fan base is really excited about this and has injected a a new sense of optimism uh, in the preseason. I I do think if in fact it wasn't to happen, what would be, what, what should be the reaction back towards the hunts in Zanata uh, in terms of failing to pull it off? Well, I hope that it's um, a reaction of, yes, we would have been really excited, but because they started making stupid demands, 
that the hunts were smart to back off because there is a price point on this kid that I think gets stupid. Now, I don't, I don't know exactly where it is, but I can tell you that it's 20 for sure is stupid. He's not peppy, you know, uh, is, is, is it 10 is it, stupid? Is it, t- I don't, I don't know a 10. I can, it's starting to get there for me. Um, you know, maybe, maybe 10's not crazy, but <laughs> it feels so Atlanta United. I just, <laughs> I know that's the thing is like, it's so out of character. Like sometimes when people do things really out of character, you know, even if it's a thing you want to go in the right direction, you still feel like, man, that was a big overreach, you know? And I, I, I just, there are some times where the hunts frugalness have actually, been okay if you want to talk about the survival of this team in this particular market you know over the long haul and i i would hate for them to go all in on a guy and spend like 10 12 million and then on the off chance that it's a bust because listen their track record is not phenomenal despite what ban hunt thinks <laughs> and and then all of a sudden it's like every huge transfer we've done has stunk and now we're never doing one again you know what i mean so it's like i just I, sometimes i hate when things get way out of whack from the norm because then if it goes wrong it's never happening again so that's why like if you're starting to get over 10 you know combined i'm starting to get nervous about it in terms of an overpay on a 19 year old kid who could have some you know headstrong screw you i'm out of here go to turkey in the middle of the night kind of tendencies perhaps (laughs) <laughs> We're also not even a year out from having a fire sale because cash flow was a little bit iffy. You know, you, you, it would be so out of character for them just to go, okay, guys, we've got 20 million coming in eventually, and whatever's left from the guys who got rid of last year, let's just blow it all now. What happens too if the the new TV deal doesn't end up where we all think it's going to end up? And a year and a half from now, all of a sudden it's like, uh oh, we got to dump 10 million in payroll. You know, that's one guy. I'm it's just sometimes it, keep in mind too that if you pay this much for a kid, it's so out of whack with everybody else in the clubhouse and in the locker room. How are they all going to look at a guy? Maybe they're all we're nice and maybe it's all roses and daffodils, but you know, you can see some locker room problems arising from a 19 year old kid getting paid way out of whack with everybody else. It's certainly you would hope that if the kid came here, one, he would be excited about playing on this team and in this league and being in this country and and the differences. But two, because he is a 19 year old kid, you know, changing environments and and the style of play and all that stuff is going to be an element to, to worry about. And it does feel like such an incredible amount of money. Uh, the only thing I would think is, is that it's so fundamentally better of an opportunity than the awful the Hara, you know, paying all that money to Frank O'Hara or even the Danielson thing. Like we all knew way back when, when they paid all that money to bring Danielson in, uh, we all knew that was the dumbest idea in the whole world. And it went exactly as we all thought it was going to go. Right. Yeah. Well, I I tell you that uh, here's another positive change for the organization. Uh, They've created a department inside the club that basically they, they call it a wellness player. Wellness is what they call it. (laughs) <laughs> um, it's brand new and literally it's a, the whole point of it is to help people, these players off the field, live good lives to make them happy. And they said, particularly with foreign players and young players, it's been, a, a, they've noticed that it's a problem. So like that idea that like, there's an awareness that a 19 year old kid coming here, making millions of dollars could be a problem. Right. So the fact that they've at least acknowledged that and created a department for that, I mean, honestly, that's a positive thing in my mind because that is 
that can be an issue when you when you for an American going overseas or somebody else coming here. That can be culture shock. You don't know anybody. You don't have a, a support culture. You don't know where to go, what to do, who, where to get the kind of food you kind of like, where to hang out, who to hang out with that is similar to you in mentality and culture. You know that's all very difficult. And for them to make a department for it, I think is actually a really positive thing. Wait, hold on, hold on. Are you telling me that FC Dallas has its own Dr. Sharon Fieldstone? Well, I don't know who that is, but I, I mean, it's I'll the take sports it psychologist. Your... <laughs> that's the sports psychologist Ted Lasso brought in to AFC oh. Richmond in season number two. Yeah, basically, yeah, that's. <laughs> and she well, got them I... to express their feelings oh, and I work through it's... their problems and solve I... lots and lots of uh, emotional issues on the club. Buzz. Yeah, I think it's more like you know lifestyle and living situations and helping him get oh. through life with like little problems or whatever. But I mean, even if it is a sports psychologist, that's great. I mean, you know, uh, to think about players beyond just as a piece of chunk of tool on the field is I think a positive, if you can help guys be better players and be, you know, have a better organization in general, I think it's a positive win. I just have this, I have this thing running in my mind of Dr. <laughs> Sharon Fieldstone walking by Dan Hunt's office and going, Mr. Hunt, would you like to come spend some time with me today? Can, yeah, you, right can I get an hour of your time today, Mr. Hunt? <laughs> well, it's too hot in Frisco to ride a bike to work, so they won't be exactly the same. <laughs> okay, well, I guess everybody will just have to sit tight, buckle up, and see how that goes down. Uh, it is exciting news, and it does all feel very weird to be a fan of this club and be talking about buying a player uh, of that reputation and of that particular value. It, it all does feel very weird. Now... Uh, hold on to your pants. I can't believe this is happening. Talking point number two is the other side of the field is the news that Dallas appears to be on the precipice of a MLS record trade with DC United for an, an obscene amount of GAM, 2 million GAMs for Paul Areola. Yeah, that's a lot of legs. That is a lot of GAM. A lot of nipples, too. Jeez, <laughs> oh, edit. <laughs> oh, you leave that right in there. I know. Uh, yeah, listen, Dallas has got boatloads of gam all the time. You know, they they've had transferred enough guys; they just have it coming out their ears. Um, and and it's been demonstrated that in Major League Soccer, it's actually better for your organization to trade a guy internally for whole, the league for a whole bunch of gam than it is to sell them outside the league even for like two or three times the money because you don't get the, that cash back in usable roster building assets. It comes to your organization, but it doesn't come in terms of ways you can use it like directly on the roster. So uh, this is another situation where Dallas has gone in aggressively and outbid another team in MLS, apparently outbid Club America, I think it was, for, for Areola. Um, Bogart, Tom Bogart, who works for the league, is the one that initially reported it. And then Stephen Goff kind of, tap the brakes a little on it's not you know written in stone or processed or whatever i can't imagine that mls soccer would have reported their own story if it wasn't pretty much done but um super exciting you have to assume that the relationship with nico estevez is part of this because he was you know national team assistant i mean that has to be the core of it um they did need somebody on the right i wasn't necessarily thinking they would go for somebody to supplant obreon but they obviously have done that yes obreon can be an us bench attacking player, which he was a couple times during the course of the season. You know, you're getting a guy that knows the coach. He's a leader. He's a worker. You know, he is a, you know, based on his salary, he probably has to be a DP, but 
Um, if he's at a million bucks, I mean, you know, sometimes you renegotiate deals when you get transferred like this, but if he's in that neighborhood of a million bucks, that's only about a 400 K buy down in gam. Again, Dallas has got tons of gam. So not a problem, probably more than likely. So again, aggressive move. I really like it. I think he's an excellent MLS player and a good solid piece with the national team. I mean, he's not a gangbusters blow him away starter, but he's definitely on in Bearhalter's mix. You know, he probably will be happy to be here because of the Estevez Bearhalter relationship. I would imagine that will contribute to his desire to play for Dallas because that helps facilitate your national teamness. Plus, Dallas likes letting guys go to the national team. So, um, you know, good fit, good piece. I, again, I really like this aggressiveness and I like this move. Yeah, I, I don't remember. I've just never seen him. Ha- I've never personally seen him have a good game. Uh, granted, most of the time that's with the national team. I know a lot of uh, people who rate him say he doesn't translate very well to the national team. Well, that's kind of unfortunate if you think that FC Dallas is going to play in a system like the national team because that's what you want him to translate to right now. Um, serviceable MLS player. Domestic is always good with a shortage of international spots. I think $2 million is absolutely absurd. But um, it's $2 million of funny money, Dan. They're not going to do anything else with it. It's not like they're taking it out of their bank account. Well, I mean, it's funny money, but it's also funny money that they, you know, they need to do things with. If, uh, you know, if they do get Velasco and he doesn't, uh, you know, and he can qualify for the U22 uh, initiative, there's a potential of having to, you know, put money into that. There's the, the reality of having to pay down Farku's wages and, and Hedge's wages and whoever else's. Uh, it's just... I don't know. I, I just uh, and we also don't know. You know, we we can say there's there's bucket loads of money, particularly now that Tam's gone. We don't know what the conversion actually is. What they're actually left with. Well, it's got to be a ton of it because they certainly had uh, sold off a ton of assets to gather Tam and Gam over the years, and they haven't been using it on anything, with the exception of a very few instances. Again, uh, as best as we know, because they don't tell us this stuff. I don't know, man. Dan, I got to disagree with you. I think I love this uh, for so many reasons. I, most of all is that I think he's a much better system player. He provides a level of balance tactically because Obreon is such a disaster tactically on the field that he will do the work back and forth. He'll be a far better um, integration into the team. He'll press smarter than Obreon does. Uh, I, I, I just, man, I just feel like this is a fan and, oh, and, and the other part is he's a player that's MLS ready, right? Like he knows the league and also has, uh, uh, you know, experience playing outside of MLS. I just, this, I think this is an outstanding, uh, trade. If in fact it actually happens. I, I just, I just think it's a lot for not a massive, you know, I don't think he's that great an improvement. Like I say, I've never seen him have a particularly good game. Granted, I don't watch DC United, um, and the guy's an in- constant injury worry. It just uh... okay. Now that that there, I think, is a legitimate uh, concern. He he does have uh, an injury issue on a regular basis. Yes, I agree. Yeah, just uh, you know, if, if you're really and you know, I mean, we're realistic saying okay, this is probably year one of five right now. They're talking about you know the window to win MLS Cup, which probably involves getting in there before you sell Jesus, before 
um, you know, whoever else comes through that they're going to sell off before the likes of Shun really come of age and, and find their way back to Europe. I don't know. Just, uh, I feel like you're starting off, uh, you're kind of, uh, like handicapping yourself a little bit in actually in, in various senses with this, his injury history. Well, based on Paul, uh, Tenorio's, you know, tweet thread today where he was talking about the amount of gam that each team's getting per season now is, you know, over 2 million per season per team. And when you miss the playoffs, you get more. And when you sell a player for over a million dollars, you get a million dollars basically, or give or take somewhere in that window. So you can look back at every sale Dallas has made of Pepe and Tanner and Reynolds. And, you know, each one of those has given you another pile of gam. So like, you know, not joking. It's entirely possible that Dallas is sitting around with like seven or $8 million in gam that they're not using. So to me, like if you, if you corner them, if you have, if you have so much gam, you don't know what to do with it. I don't mind perhaps overpaying a little bit. If you have the amount of assets to drown people out of the business with, you know, if you're a team that has a ton of cash, you can make offers. Nobody else can make. In this case, Dallas has so much gam. They can make offers that nobody else can make. Now, I, I agree with you that with the national team, I think he's starting to show that he's not quite, you know, when you get to the elite levels of the Mexicos and then what you'll see in the World Cup, he's not a guy you want starting. But, I, you know, I've seen him enough times in MLS and even before that when he was with, um, uh, you know, in Mexico, with was it Cholos he was with? Mm-hmm. You know, I saw enough of him there that, you know, I, I, I think as an MLS players go, I think he's perfectly – legitimate, you know, towards the bottom end of the DP, but still a DP. He's not a $5 million a year guy, but, you know, a million-ish kind of player. I'm okay with that. I think he's definitely a guy that can dominate and win you games. Uh, and, and I'm trying to think of who the last winger we would have had around here that was better than him. Um, and if you're talking about peak form, I mean, Barrios had – you know, maybe a season that he was better or a couple of seasons where he's better, but then he had three or four where he was not better. He was worse. You know, he was so hot and cold, you know, Casillo had his one, you know, MVP type season and, and Breck Shea had a one MVP type season. And that's really it for the most part. So um, I'm okay. And going after a guy, if it's who you want, when you got assets coming out your ears, small point in allocation money. Uh, you mentioned the trades last season. Allocation money doesn't roll over season to season. I, I I am so confused about the allocation money rules. I I th- that doesn't surprise me, but I'm also not sure that I'm. Do we know that to, is that actually the the new? Is that's, that a new rule or is that a no? That's a, always been in the roster rules, even before target allocation money. So if you get, if you trade for allocation money, whether it was Gam or Tam, at the end of the year, if you haven't spent it, you lose it. Yeah, that was the frustration in Dallas not using it in previous seasons. Well, hell, I'm glad they used it then. Yeah. <laughs> there, I, I, yeah, I look at that one of two ways. Either maybe the rule's different and it has been rolling over and they just haven't told anybody about it, or I, thank God they're finally using it because they had, they, they've they been collecting it, hoarding it like cookies for the last however many years. It's, uh, it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, now, we should say that, again, at, at least at the time of this uh, when we were recording this, which is uh, Thursday evening, Neither the Areola or the Velasco deal uh, have even come close to being reported as done. I don't. I mean, or did the Bogert thing say it was done? Well, Bogert initially said that the trade had been agreed to, uh, and then, you know, I, that was when Goff said, "Oh, it's not, you know, finalized." And well, that just means the paperwork hasn't been processed yet. And there was some 
discussion that DC wanted to wait until they finalized the player they were bringing in. You know, I, so it's agreed to basically. I find it interesting that Goff mentioned that uh, Ariola didn't want to go to America, and then Ariola, who never uses social, rarely uses social media, made a point of quote tweeting it with like a, a whole laughing thing to you know say that wasn't true. Didn't kind of speculate anything about leaving DC in any way, other than just to say, nah, didn't haven't turned down the idea of Club America at all. Yeah, I, that was one of the things that I did wonder about all of this was on the heels of the news that we got also this week that Kellen Acosta had been traded from Colorado to LAFC was the somewhat surprising tweet by Kellen himself that essentially said, yeah, I got screwed again. There was interest from Europe, but MLS traded me inside the system, so uh, I've been blocked from leaving again. He backed off on that in later tweets. Um, but well, it did make me this time there was an actual bid. Yes. I've, I'd heard, I read that too. Difference from when Dallas. Yeah. But th that's what I'm leading to in this with Areola, which is, do we have any sense that Areola would prefer to go back to Liga, Liga MX, but because MLS, you know, gains an advantage from, you know, doing this within its own system that maybe he's the one that ends up getting and ending up in a deal that maybe he doesn't really want. I, I don't know. But I, uh, the Estevez part of this is what I think makes it click for Dallas. Yeah, unless he flat out says something, there's no way to know. Um, obviously, I, again, I, I agree with you. The Estevez thing is what makes it different. You know, the assistant coach of the national team and a previous relationship, an established relationship, you'd like to think that that was worth something. Well, we'll keep uh, an eye on that. It would be an amazingly good offseason if they end up adding Alan Velasco and Paul Areola. And I and I don't even know, and I guess the question is how would you feel if only one of the two show up? Buzz? Uh, that'd be fine. You know, either I'd rather have um Areola because of the domestic, you know, thing and the the fact that he's an established pro entering the prime of his career. You know exactly what you're getting in terms of the performance level that you're going to see if there's no like waiting for him to develop phase, there's no like, Oh, what's he going to turn into a player? We already know he's a player. We've already seen him play a bunch. Dan doesn't like him, but I do, you know, the coach already has a relationship with him. Yeah. For all those reasons, I'd rather have Ariola. All right, Dan, there, it, it also does feel looming over us as the Lucy in the football situation that neither one of these guys ends up showing up. Uh, that, that is also wholly possible. Uh, that is uh, that would be peak FC Dallas. I will say I'm I'm with Buzz. If uh, if any one of them was going to come, uh, you know, Ariola would be the the preference there. Someone who knows MLS, who you know is an alternative to uh, to Obrian and his uh, lack of defending. Uh, unless it's against Houston, weirdly defended well in the games against Houston. Other than that, no. <laughs> See, I think it lets Obreon do what he's good at, which is come off the bench and be a super sub oh, and excel yeah, at chaos. Down, given the last 20 minutes, that's perfect. Yes. I mean, that that was kind of what it looked like Barrios' career would be until he had that Open Cup game, and then next thing you know, he's team MVP for five straight seasons. All right, now on to news that we can confirm because the club did confirm it today. They have signed on a six-month loan a Dutch goalkeeper question marks over my head martin pass is on his way from utrecht buzz well listen you know as of the first day of camp they had two goalkeepers and one of those goalkeepers was 
19 year old Antonio Carrera, who is most certainly not going to help your first team, uh, in, in this season, you know, I don't care how good you think he is. He's not going to be MLS ready. Right. Uh, you know, he's more likely going to play most of the season with North Texas, which is perfectly fine. You know, it doesn't even matter which team he's signed with. You know, you know, they listed him as a North Texas player, which is in a way confirming that the deal's done. His agent called him a homegrown, whatever, who cares? He's playing with North Texas this year. And then they had Jimmy Maurer. So they needed two keepers for the first team and a second keeper for North Texas. They need five, and they had two. So if you got to burn an international spot, which I don't like an international spot on a keeper, but they've been doing that lately with Philippe anyway. At least this guy from Uterect, like the first guy we talked about, the Rivero dude from Spain, was like the third or fourth choice guy at Valencia. Well, this dude was the starter for Uterect. Now, if you don't like that league or whatever, that's fine, but at least he was a proven professional starter. So great. You know, he's 23 years old. That's really young for a keeper in most ways that matter. You know, so plenty of room to grow and develop. We have with FC Dallas, one of the best goalkeepers coaches in the United States if in the league and Drew Keyshawn. You know, there was been some chatter I read where maybe he hadn't developed really well at Utrecht and the, the people were worried about their own goalkeeper coach situation because none other keepers were developing. Well, that's not going to be a problem here, not with Drew Keyshawn. So, you know, on paper, great. It all seems fine. Again, don't love the international spot, but whatever. Otherwise, it seems perfectly reasonable to go out and get a keeper. Now, if they do two international keepers, we have a problem. You know, I can't help but think that this goes back to the idea what they were, somebody was like, you guys are going to go for Rivera? Screw that. I got a guy way better than that. And that maybe killed the other deal, which had already been reported as being done, and now it's not. So I would expect, you know, they, they have drafted a keeper. That probably is the other North Texas guy because it was in the third round. You know, so I would expect that they go out and find one more domestic goalkeeper to be the second or third or whatever here and compete with Jimmy and this other guy. Um, uh, pause. So, you know, they're, they're making moves towards building the whole roster that you need. They got another month and a half to get it ready in place. Yeah, and it's not Richard Sanchez who uh, signed with LAFC, correct? No, no, no. Yeah, he's he's out of the picture because he did sign with LA Galaxy. Galaxy, that's sorry, with. that's right. Yeah, yeah, the Galaxy. I knew yeah. it was one of the LA. All right. I mean, if they'd have wanted him, they probably could have done it over the last two months. He's been sitting there out of contract, so it's like they obviously didn't want him or didn't want to give him what LA Galaxy gave him, which is perfectly fine. That's how it works. You know, you have a look at a guy, you you put out how much money you want. If he gets a better offer, he gets a better offer. All right. Now, before we move on to other things, the one thing I do want to talk about on the idea, let's just assume that uh, Velasco and Ariola show up here. And this uh, this line of thinking in, uh, in my head long term was somewhat started by the great Steve Fenn, who who was questioning the oddity of the Velasco signing because he points out if you kind of dig through Velasco's stats, he's not really a goal scorer as much as he is. He's kind of a creator uh, for other people from the left hand side. And he was wondering how all of this fits together uh, with somebody like Jesus Ferreira playing the nine versus a big guy, a big kind of traditional number nine. And when you add in the, you know, the idea of Areola being on the right, which I think Areola in my head is more like Velasco is just on the opposite side of the field, it does make you begin to wonder about what this attack could or what Nico and Zanata are thinking about in terms of what this attack will be for 2022 if, in fact, the front line is something made up of Velasco, Ferreira, and uh, Areola. Well, you remember when Dallas had people joke they had a triple pivot in midfield? This is going to be a triple false nine. It's going to be three dudes coming from deep, running at people. 
I mean, that's kind of what it sets up like, doesn't it? You yeah. Know? Or like, uh, if you if you will, uh, Barcelona win the weird days when they would play Messi as a nine, or they would play, um, you know, uh, uh, David Villa as a nine. David Villa is pretty much a false nine. So that's kind of how they played. So, you know, you're talking about a coach coming from Spain. It doesn't freak me out. That that's kind of the vibe you're going to be looking at. You know, the idea in a false nine is his movement away from the center creates space. And so if you have guys that are dribblers and can go at those spaces, you know, one of whom is your own nine who pulls out and then goes back if he's quick enough. And the other two guys are sort of taking advantage of that. And if you have modern attacking outside backs, those kind of uh, more false style wings, again, like the national team, allows a greater width coming from your outside back to take advantage of your attacking outside backs like the U.S. does with Dest on one side or when it, whoever you like, when Yedlin's in there or when Reynolds has been in there or when Cannon's been in there, that's the way the whole system is structured. So they both fit that same style, if that's the model we're talking about. All right. So in this new look FC Dallas, where does Frank O'Hara and Paxton Pomacall fit in? Well, O'Hara will be playing left out. Um, I don't know. Paxton will be in the middle. In the first day of training, Paxton played the whole day as an eight in the mid- central midfield. Oh, I love it. But I mean, and I, and I do mean these as two different things. I, Frank O'Hara has to play some sort of role in this team on the amount of money he's on. Right. So so is he, is he, is he the guy that comes in at the end to kill off games? Is he the guy that has to come in and and score goals late? Like he'll, he'll be uh, a, a spot starter. If, and when Jesus is gone, you know, his role last year where he had, I want to say 12 starts in 17 games and scored seven goals. That's pretty reasonable for, you know, if throw out the contract, you know, I know that you, it's hard to do that, but you have right. to, because he's going to be here no matter what. So like, you know, that kind of role that like, if you need a nine for a game or two, when Jesus is gone, or if an injury happens, great. You can put him in there, come off the bench with 30 minutes left. And if you want more of a post-up kind of look, lob some balls into the middle, you could put him in as a nine and drop Jesus underneath. You know, there's a whole bunch of options you could do with him. Um, you know, that's going to be his gig is going to be a player off the bench. And they basically talked about that in interviews in Spanish uh, in the press conferences lately. Those were the answers you can hear enough and people or talk to somebody who speaks Spanish. And in my case, uh, not that I speak it, that I talk to somebody who speaks it. And that's basically what they said, you know, and, and Paxton's going to be an eight on this team. I ex- That's actually something I talked to uh, coach about specifically. Um, and that's pretty much the answer is like, you know, again, the modern coaches don't talk as much about these hard-coded number rules. That's something we do more than they do. Um, you know, he talks about Paxton in space and certain occupations on the field, whatever. It's an eight. You know, it's that free eight, whatever you want to call it, that 8-10 hybrid, whatever. It's, there's no real 10 anymore. So um, that, those were both those guys are going to be. And those, you know, based on what we're seeing and the amount of wings that are being signed, that's where he's going to be playing. And the fact there's nobody else that can play in there right now but Paxton. All right. Well, this seems to be a good time to seg into the news that uh, we we got today, which was that Buzz, as of uh, Thursday, January 20th, had his debut conversation with the new coach of FC Dallas, Nico Estevez. I got to hear what happened in that conversation. Yeah, it certainly wasn't as exciting as you're making it out to be. Uh, You know, at the end of the uh, first day of training press conference, I hung around and waited till he did all his interviews uh, and was able to get him for about three or four minutes. Um, and we sort of talked in general about him and sort of some philosophical type stuff. I was trying to mostly lay groundwork. You know, I'm not trying to dig him the first day. 
Um, but I, I, so I asked him like how he felt about defined roles uh, like Oscar more had versus Lucci's versatility of everybody's playing a bunch of different spots. And he leaned in a little bit more towards the Oscar where he likes people to have defined spots where they're, they're competing directly for a position, but he does like having a couple of players that can be moved around and play in different spots. Uh, we talked about, you know, some of where the, the holes in the roster might be where they need bodies. And, you know, the obvious one is goalkeeper. And he also echoed what I've said before that they clearly need an eight, uh, you know, in, in the sense of the bodies, like he likes Paxton, he likes Cervania, but you know, there's, they're a little light in that kind of area. Um, you know, obviously at that point we had not heard the areola news and the, and that they weren't commenting on anything related to anybody specifically Velasco. They weren't going to comment on, but um, you know, so at the same time, wing obviously was something he mentioned. So, uh, you know, it was basically a lot of groundwork and a lot of, um, you know, trying to f- figure out like what kind of, uh, coach he's going to be. Um, and then on top of that, uh, they dropped a video FC Dallas did, which was like, you know, a first day kind of coaching thing where he, he had a, a speech in the locker room. And I liked some of the things he was saying about, um, you know, accountability and the sacrifice. And this is hard being a player professional is hard, you know, don't expect it to be lovey dovey and easy and all that kind of stuff. So, um, overall that first day was a really good impression between when I talked to him and, you know, watching that video a little later on. Did he buy you lunch? No, 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 that, that was a deal when, when, uh, cause I've known Lucci before, you know, I, I had a pre-existing relationship with Lucci. I was like, Hey, let's go to lunch and talk about, you know, what your plans are. He's like, sure. So, you know, I, I didn't ask him to buy me lunch that day. He just did. <laughs> but maybe later. I'll let you know if Coach uh, Nico buys me uh, buys me a coffee or something. Peter, uh, here's how cutthroat Buzz is. Uh, Nico wasn't doing interviews. He did a TV spot, and then he was heading the hell out of there. And I went over to Marlene, the PR girl, and I was like, hey, you know, can I ask him one question? I didn't get a chance to ask him the presser. I, so she brings him over. Before I've hit record on my phone... Buzzes like come from nowhere. There's a cloud of dust behind him, and there's a business card in Nico's hand. And yeah, it's like what? <laughs> I did kind of give Dan the Heisman. Yeah. Oh, you coach block Dan. Yeah. Hey, your I gotta own, get in there, man. Your own yeah. cart content, right? Your own content partner. <laughs> you cut him off. Uh, all right, but I, I guess my question, because I haven't met the guy and I've only seen stuff online and. And so forth. What what is your vibe like? What kind of vibe do you get from him compared to Lucci and Oscar and and all the other? I mean, Buzz, you're one of the rare people that has literally talked to every coach in this club's history. If anybody has an idea of how a guy vibes and fits the club, it's going to be you. Yeah. Uh, well, it's the very first day of training, and my very first time talking to him. Like, so training, I was trying to watch what he was doing in the sense of like how active is he getting in there you know and he was he was uh he was letting things go for the most part unless he saw an opportunity to like give a a little bit of guy instruction but then i also saw him give some instruction to some of the assistants you know go over and say hey i want you to do this or that you know kind of using his staff to as an intermediary in a lot of ways and i kind of like that a little bit a little less of a chummy chummy kind of vibe um, which is not horrible to have guys like that. But, uh, you know, as I've told you before, I, I do like Lucci, but I felt at times that was he was a little too chummy with players. And so there was a little bit more of a standoffishness here 
in terms of me witnessing training from him to his players, which I kind of liked. Again, first day, you know, he's trying to take it all in as well as I am. And then when I talked to him, uh, what sort of struck me was that uh, you wouldn't think this would be uncommon, but sometimes coaches don't think about what you actually ask them. Um, or, or front office people, they kind of know the general ballpark of what you asked them, and they kind of give you the answer that they think is this, what they're supposed to say to that particular kind of question, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. And I felt, like, I felt like Coach Nico actually listened to what I asked him and then thought about it for a second and then actually tried to answer it for me. And, you know, Again, I'm not, when I talk to the coach most of the time in these kind of situations, I don't run a recorder. I'm trying to just, you know, vibe him out and kind of get groundwork and kind of get like just ballpark sort of answers. And they tend to be more um, honest when you do that because then they know you're not going to directly word for word quote them. You know what I mean? That, that mm-hmm. you're just yeah. looking for the core of what they're saying. So even though it was only about a three minute conversation, you know, maybe four. Well, that's one thing you can tell you difference in a three three to five minute conversation. I actually got in like five or six questions rather than two questions like with Lucci. So that's different. But, um, you know, he actually listened to my questions and like tried to actually answer them. That's something Marco Ferrucci did, too, by the way. So I, I my first impression of him is actually pretty good that he's an intelligent guy and a honest guy so far. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, you know, like I said, good first day in terms of how he interacted with me and I thought how he interacted with the team. So, um, you know, one two-hour session and one interview. I mean, it's not set in stone by any means, but um, it was a good start. All right. Now, since you brought up Lucci, anybody else take a minute and think to themselves, what in the world must Lucci be thinking is going on? Yeah, every time there's the news this week, I was like, I bet Lucci's steaming somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, they did not give him the kind of support they're giving this guy. Not remotely. I, it just makes me wonder, it, it, is it the Pepe deal that flipped everything? Was that the triggering effect? I, I don't know. If, Remember in the, fact, any of this is true, right? Like, we don't even really know if any of this is actually true. I mean, we're... Well, there's enough going on that there's at least, you know, the core of it's true. Now, whether you can actually get them or not is different, but they're at least making these attempts, you know, and... and we talked a lot about the, how you have to be brutal in the off season. And sometimes they have not been. And we've talked about over three years under Lucci that they let the roster get worse and worse and worse. You know, I don't, you know, whether that was on purpose or not, or whether they were just misguided and how they were approaching things. Maybe it took a bottoming out and, and the TD perhaps, and this is pure speculation on my part, but maybe the bottoming out and the TD is saying, see, you have to let me do what I need to do. And maybe that's sort of what we've crossed over this hurdle. Um, you know, there's lots of reasons why things can be triggered to change, you know, and, and they, that both Clark and Dan did say lots of times. Now, again, you know, when guys are talking, they're spinning or whatever, but we've heard multiple times this idea that this not being in the playoffs was unacceptable and we're going to make some changes. Okay. Well, they are, you know, so some credit there until it all craps out and doesn't work, but at least they're putting in the effort and trying, which is a difference than the last couple of years. Honestly, I, I don't think they've given Lucci near the support that they've given this uh, coach Estevez. I think um, that there's kind of a wider aspect to it. Almost like you talk to players and, and staff in the club and, the first thing they say about Nico, uh, particularly when you say in comparison to Lucci, is professional. Um, 
you know, his his you know, I, I guess uh, you know, I'll, I'll say I kind of thought maybe his extra years as an assistant probably didn't count for for as much as they apparently do. Um, but he he takes into account the player welfare thing. Um, they've made some changes already. They've created a new canteen space. They're you know focusing more on uh, so sorry. Uh, they want to focus on play uh, the team having meals together, bonding that way, and having that longer interaction. Not just turning up in the locker room to get ready for training and go out, but to have like the that full half day together to have the full preparation. Uh, you know, as a team, they're focusing more on on prehab. Uh, even things like his office. Um, if you've ever been into the the north side locker rooms, those uh, those offices between the change rooms, like a little series of just small rooms. He's kind of uh, made those a little bit more open, just so that he can have that direct interaction with his assistants and not be kind of shut off from them or the players. Where before you had to run around a corner, knock on a door, go through another corner, go through another door. Um, it, it's all, you know, it, it's all like. Uh, I mean, I was talking to Brandon Savane, he was like, it's, I've seen it at Bayern, I've seen it in Europe, I've seen it with the national team. This is like a real professional thing now. Hmm. Did, you, did he say that voluntarily to you? Yeah. Interesting. Well, since you guys did go out and uh, witness practice this week, along with all the other insight you've already given, what what was the general vibe of practice? How was it different? And anything in particular from practice of note that uh, we should know? Uh, not particularly different than other early um, spring training sessions. Uh, continuing the trend of starting ball work and, and skill work right away, there's no longer this you know, week or two of fitness running, you're now expected to come into camp ready to go. Um, Matt Hedges is the king of being ready to go the first day, and he was totally dominant. Um, looks exactly like the player we've known for like the past decade as the best defender on the team. You know, completely healthy and completely shutting down everything. Now, one of the things about being over 30 is that it's harder to recover from knocks, and as the season wears on, We'll see if that holds up. But day one, it was awesome to see. Paxton was ready to go. Blaine Ferry, of all people, came in trimmed down, thin, uh, professional, on the mark all day, really ahead of the fitness all day. That was really surprising and awesome to see because I thought maybe if he progressed another season, he might help this team. But I actually reevaluated that. I think there's a legit shot that he makes this roster off. And that's a totally overreaction off of one training session. But when you're talking about a kid who maybe lacked a little focus off field to come in like that was really eye opening on, on to me anyway. Well, before um, you move on, could, could you just, for those who are not familiar with Blaine Ferry's story, could you just give some sure. background on him, please? Well, he's a solar kid who at one time was like the best player in the U 17 national team. Uh, and went to Germany, went to Firth. And, you know, when he progressed through their academy for up into their U20 team or reserve team or something, and then unceremoniously, they just dumped him. And I don't know the specifics of it. I've heard through the grapevine that it's it was related, you know, to the general professionalism, off-field, on-field kind of thing. And last year when he came in, he'd been out of soccer. He played for uh, Inter-Miami's reserve team, was that – two years ago and that didn't really pan out. And then he came at FC Dallas and from my eye, he was a little bit more heavy than you would like. 
And over the course of the season, he got better and better and better with that team progressing So the end of the season, he was dominating games in the midfield and running these absurd amounts of miles. And then even compared to that, you know, to see him now in first team camp, to my eye, he clearly spent the off season, uh, you know, working hard and staying in shape and trimming down even more. Like for example, total comparison example last year when Paxton spent the whole winter, not doing anything because he was hurt, not his fault. And I told you he came in fat, y'all made fun of me. You remember what he looked like when you saw him, right? Yeah. This is the opposite of that. Blaine Ferry, to my eye, looked trimmer and fitter than ever before. And that professionalism, to me, that's what it says to me. And it says that he's had a something click in his head. And so a guy that at one point was as promising as you can be looks pretty good. So I'm super I'm trying not to overreact off of one training session. Ask me again in two weeks what I think. But right now the opening day, I was like, my eyes open wide. I said, Oh my goodness. Um from North Texas, also Derek Waldeck is still here. Jabron Rayo is still here, even though they're both out of contract, being given a chance at the first team. Two academy players, and Anthony Ramirez, who's the kid who's been getting all the Mexico call ups that I've been talking about, is the, like the number one protect the investment option for me. He plays fall swing or attacking eight like Paxton. Basically, he's that kind of player, uh, and it was funny because. The for the boast of like the they did a lot of like small space ball kind of stuff, and Paxton kept trying to draw him into the middle, like coaching him, because he's a fifteen year old kid. He was obviously nervous as hell, and Paxton's like, "Come on in here, come on in here," dragging him and trying to get him to get in and get into the middle. So that was kind of cool to see Paxton doing that uh, for a kid with a lot of potential. Um, there was a cut some interesting things on the roster, like uh, Antonio Carrera showed up as a North Texas player, which is interesting because his agent called him a homegrown. Uh, there's a new North Texas player called Andre uh, Luque Costa, who's a, if it's the right guy, is a former Brazilian and U.S. like U19 kind of player, kind of exciting. Um, who else to impress me? Um, oh, the the one of the draft picks, uh, Siki, oh goodness, uh, Nebelong, I think we decided it was. Uh, he looked kind of interesting, very bright and active and so Sebeling, yeah. Siki is the first name, a nickname, I guess, more than his first name. But um, he was kind of intriguing, kind of moved really well, kind of bright and active. Uh, you know, f- good first impression for me. The uh, the center back they took uh, sixth overall that everyone was like, holy crap, he's old. Uh, I actually specifically asked Nico about him in my conversation, and he basically said that he's the best athlete among the center backs that were available, and that was pretty clear in training. He's got a quick first step, good size, and got a quick burst over good over space. I didn't get a real good read on like his passing because they weren't playing any like full field kind of stuff for the most part. But um, he got paired with both Hedges and with um, Martinez at various times and looked, you know, pretty decent for a college center back. Uh, I was say, he had a couple of nice long passes and they went to that yeah. uh, full sided draw. Yeah, he, he was he was better than I expected. And again, you don't love the age, but probably the best first impression by a, a center back, you know, on the first day as we've had in a while. Um, you know, Tafari, the first day he showed up was was like a deer in the headlights. This guy's way more dialed in than that, more mature, obviously. You know, um, is Isaiah Parker there? The no, num- the no, number three draft pick. Yeah, unfortunately, there's like 14 players that they they lump them all in together as health and safety protocol, 
But some of them were like um, Justin Shea, they listed under that category. Well, he's in Germany trying to complete his loan deal. It's like that's not health and safety protocol. They listed Holland Rula, who's a draft pick that I know is staying in school. They listed um, uh, oh the um, the the new signing Nanu and Jesus. They listed as health and safety protocol when they're both with their national teams. So it's kind of hard to say exactly who really is in health and safety or who's in quarantine because they've just come back. You know that's still a thing. Um, it's not as long as it used to be, but that's still part of it. You know, so there were 14 guys that are on the roster that weren't around day one, which is a lot. You would hope they would be back, but um, you know, some of them were still with the national team. So um, we, we didn't get a chance to see a fair number of guys. Parker was one we didn't get to see, nor Nanu Nanu. Shun's not back. Um, Obreon's <laughs> not back. You know, it's a bunch of guys, but um, Majoma's not back. Rolling Hollingshead's not back. You know, so you're a little limited on some of it, but they did play 4-3-3 all day. So that's the base, it looks like. You know, overall, it was a really good first session. Uh, now, I know you've already mentioned him a couple of times, but uh, and Dan, I'm going to ask you for your perceptions of this too, but I really need a much more granular and detailed uh, review and update on the one thing I really care about this season is Paxton Pomacall playing the center of the park. Yeah, I mean, Paxton looks good. Um, he looks healthy. He looks bright. He looks fit. You know, compared to, as I joked earlier about him being fat last year, compared to last year, just light years. I mean, he looks like he looked at the end of last season, except more engaged. You know, obviously, I think over the last month of the season or something, he got really frustrated with where he was playing because we talked about the fact that, like, he wasn't up for it all the time. You know, it didn't look like to me. You know, he would never say that, but that's what it looks like. But, to, but on this one, he was you know, uh, clearly knows how everything works is not pushing it too far, you know, day one, uh, but clearly fit and ready, clearly, um, uh, game for what's going on, engaged, scored, uh, in, in, in the full size drill that they did do, which was about 45 to 50 yards, I think, but you know, mostly full teams. There was a, one version of it where he was a neutral and he scored like five goals going both ways. Uh, so he's on it, you know, as good as it can be. I think he relishes the idea of being back inside. I think he recognizes that right now he doesn't have anybody competing with him, and it's a chance to own that spot and lock it down before they bring in somebody. So um, I imagine that he's probably raring to go with a new coach too and a coach that knows him from the national team as well. You never can undersell that previous relationship he probably has with uh, Steves. So, yeah, honestly, I think he looks as good as he's looked in quite a while, to be fair. Yeah, he looked lively. Um, my only, uh, my only little mini concern was at the end when they were doing the cool down um, uh, jogs. Uh, he was dragging behind everyone, even Frank O'Hara. Uh, hopefully, that was just kind of first day, you know, blowing the dust out and not a sign that maybe he's uh, really slowed down that much or kind of worn himself out but uh yeah he yeah, wasn't you know. he, he wasn't busting it off the line I, I watching his body language in that moment i took that more as like i know how this works and i'm not gonna bust it to be because those are those runs where they do where it's like you have 12 seconds to get from one line to the other line which is most of the field which is really easy well it, no it's the whole thing and then you oh. stand there for 20 seconds and then you have 12 seconds to get to the other end. And then you stand there. It's a timed thing, mm -hmm. right? So like the first one, if you run, you get there in like five seconds, but you're really tired. So you have to pace yourself that you get there just in 12 each time. 
So Paxton knows that drill well enough to know that you don't need to bust it off the line. You just want to take it, get it just right where you get there right at 12. So I didn't read too much. Yeah, I know was, what Dan means. I, he was totally right. He was near the back all the time, but was he was always there. Getting towards the end, you could kind of see the weariness in his face, but you know, a little bit. Yeah. Well, you had like Derek Waldeck and Antonio Carrera like busting a lung out the front. I mean, yeah, that's true. So, as, as players were something to prove should. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the kids were all trying to bust it right out of the gate, you know. And Coach even joked about that in the press conference that, you know, the, the players were so excited that he even had, they even as a staff had to like dial some of them back and tell them that it's a long season. Stop doing that. <laughs> Take it easy. You know, there was, there was one other thing uh, that was kind of brought up uh, changes. I mean, uh, there were two fields set up, and that's going to be a permanent change going forward of uh, starting on one field and then moving to the to the regular training field, which is, you know, typically in the past you've kind of had uh, the equipment managers going around, moving, you know, setting things up kind of on the fly and players just kind of doing some stretching and joking around in between. Uh, it definitely seems more like you know, drilled in and organized, coming out, everything's ready for the entire session and, you know, that it's just there. Yeah, that's been a thing, as Dan says, forever at this franchise. Is the first 15 to 20 minutes is everyone just standing around lollygagging, you know, doing some rondos and messing around and not really taking it very seriously. So if they, that's a change if that continues. But even just like, you know, in the middle of the session, if they break down the small goals to get the big goals out or something like that, it's, it's just they're they're kind of you know on it on it on it and then they stop while nacho and whoever else is setting things up i kind of i like the idea of this going from field one where everyone was set up running in uh, from field four running into field one everything's already set up and they can just go straight from one exercise into another and not have that have that kind of stagnation downtime while they're resetting equipment yeah exactly because i mean that, that seems like the kind of times where you know, players stand around for five minutes, get a little bit cold, and suddenly a hamstring goes or something. Hmm. Uh, Dan, you mentioned you talked to Brandon Cervania, and he had that interesting comment about uh, the level of professionalism uh, changing. Did you, did you, Buzz, or you, Dan, talk with anybody else, get any other kind of uh, comments or quotes from anybody that you'd like to share? I did not. I'm not allowed to share uh, one oh. of the other players I talked to because it involved their contract status. Mm. Oh, oh, really? Oh, yeah. who's who's that, Dan? Can't say. Oh, dang it! <laughs> <laughs> He's clearly still mad at you, Buzz, for yeah. stepping in front of him and to, to get to Nico first. Yeah. He's not gonna. Oh yeah, totally. Coach blocked him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a fistful of beard. <laughs> uh, so what I is the re- that went? What is the rest of the uh, training schedule and when is the first game or preseason game and all of that? Uh, They're training Friday and Saturday and then they're off Sunday. We don't have a schedule for next week yet. Um, The first preseason game, I think, is before they go out of town. I'm trying to look it up as I say that. Um, That's the roster, not the schedule. Blah, blah, blah. Should have looked that up. I didn't know you were going to ask me. No worries. If you don't know it off the top of your head, it's not that important. It's it's still a little bit of ways. I just wondered if it's – there's nothing coming up this weekend or the beginning of next week or anything like that. No, they'll, they'll go out of town at the end of next week. Uh, to, they'll play the U.S. under-20s at the IMG Academy. 
I would okay. like to think that actually there's a chance that they might play some sort of game before they leave to go to Orlando, whether not a real game, but like an inter squad game or maybe like against, you know, some sort of team they formed, whether it might be SMU might show up at training or something like that, something unofficial. It wouldn't shock me to see that kind of event before they go, you know, because right now North Texas only has like five, five players and they don't have a coach announced. There was some people standing around wearing North Texas gear. I couldn't tell if one of them looked more like a head coach or not other than Michelle who had on a brand new North Texas jacket. So I guess that's news that he looks like he's been brought back unless he's the coach, which is entirely possible. Mm-hmm. But he's the <laughs> North Texas coach. Told several What's times the new coach is not here. He's not here. Okay. There you go. Good so news. do they know who the new coach is going to be? They just haven't announced it yet. Yes. They yeah. know who it is, but yeah. Do you know who it is, Buzz? I do not. That's why I don't know. That's why I was saying, I wonder if it was Michelle. I, Cause he had, like I said, he had a brand new North Texas jacket on. So hmm. I'm glad okay. to see him retain. I have one more thing from training okay. that because right. I, I skipped over the other Academy player and I thought I should mention him because if you got a first team camp invite, that's important. His name is Slade Starnes. Have you ever heard that name? That sounds like a star in the making if there ever was one. Yeah. He, That's like uh, second only to Knight Pickering. Yeah. That's the best rock star name ever. Slade yeah. Starnes. Slade Starnes. Fielder. Yeah. He's a, he's a quintessential late bloomer. Um, he was a premier player until maybe two years ago when he kind of joined um, the U-17 team when they, were, they, they lost a player or two, I think. I can't remember exactly what the circumstances were. They, they brought him up from premier. And usually when a player – comes up late from premiere. It's like, okay, that's good. You know, he's a good piece. That's fine. Well, because of COVID, I haven't seen the kid play since probably like almost going on two years now, frankly. And the game I did see him the other day, the team that they beat, you know, pretty handily, he hardly did anything. So I was like, okay, same guy I've always seen. It's not because he wasn't, he didn't need to do anything. If you know what I mean, because they were winning handily. Right. Right. Well, in order for him to have gotten a first team invite, I was like, whoa, that kid came up from premier and two years later, he's training with the first team. You're talking about a center back, right? Which is Academy center backs are rare. He's well over six feet now. Uh, just looking at him, he's matured into his body physically. He looks really strong and thin, kind of a lot like the same profile as hedges. If that helps you any for what he looks like, but it's just, it's pretty impressive. And it says a lot for him to have gone from premier to first team training camp invite in the space of about two years, he's committed to Furman. And I don't think it's likely that a center back is going to get a homegrown deal because of usually the weight, you know, other than Justin Shea, you know, and Chris Richards, you got to be really, really exceptional to get that homegrown deal out of the Academy. But for him to at least be in consideration to be getting this first team camp invite says a lot about him, I think, and his rapid progression. And a kid I haven't seen play in two years has obviously gone a massive distance to get to this position. So I just wanted to give him a lot of credit since he's not a guy I've ever really talked about before. Just as Tanner wasn't a guy I've talked about before until he was dominating at the 19s. You know, so all of a sudden this kid's in the first team training. Okay, well, I'm I'm definitely paying attention now, Slade. Slade, so good for him. And and if he goes to Furman, that's great. But if he gets a chance here, that's great for him too. Before we uh, end the podcast today, I do want to take a step back and uh, ask you both for your perceptions about the press conference that took place on Tuesday. Uh, it was inside, and it featured Dan Hunt and Zanata and uh, the new coach, Nico. And and I'm 
really interested in the over and Dan, I'll start with you first, just kind of your overall senses to the body language and uh, the verbiage used and where did you get any kind of real sense that these guys are all like, uh, you know, uh, sitting in the catbird seat, feeling like they've really pulled off. They're about to pull off a, a really amazing uh, kind of conversion of this team. Or alternatively, did you get like it felt more of the same? More of the same to a degree. Uh, you know, Dan Hunt very excited about the possibility of things. Andre continually uh, feeling like he's making more of a mark on the team. Uh, you know, you know how these things work. They're just they're just trying to say the right things, as as Buzz kind of mentioned earlier, and give people the quotes they're looking for. Um, there weren't really a great range of of thrilling questions that they could really deviate too much from. Uh, there was some mention of uh, Velasco, which you know got the the typical. Well, we don't comment on players that aren't signed to FC Dallas, you know. Which uh, I know some <laughs> people in the Discord server took as oh, that's confirming because they're denying. Well, no, that's what they say. Even if they, if they are or aren't talking to him, it. So well, to be fair, as FC Dallas fans, I don't know how many times I, I could probably count on one finger the number of times I've ever thought this club was in a situation where they can't comment on a big name player they're going to buy. Well, they did they did specifically say that uh, non-specific non of any negotiations that Velasco was the quality of player they want to bring to the organization. But I mean, that's like saying the kid's good. I mean, that's, you know, that's basically yeah. what he said. You yeah. We know who he is. Yeah. Said that about uh, Thomas Muller. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's yeah. Fair enough. I'm sure they'd like to bring Messi to the organization. <laughs> uh, no, he's a little old. Um, yeah. Hey, uh, Buzz, did, did, did you, <laughs> he's kind of past it. Um, yeah. Did you get any kind of sense of something different? Something different is up. Oh yeah. Did I ever? Yeah. That was the most tap the brakes, uh, tamper expectations, settle down. We're going to stink press conference I've ever heard. Really? Yeah. This, Wait, this look, is the same group of guys that said, hey, we're going to let Marco take over and get us yeah. into the playoffs because this is a playoff team. And they yeah. proceeded to win one game. Yes, that's exactly right. So either they've finally learned the concept of under-deliver, over, under-promise and over-deliver, or they're just getting, they were feeling like they were getting stifled at every turn because this was before all the things that have happened in the last couple of days. Because Dan Hunt started with, this is going to take some time. Trust the process, or not trust the process. It's a process. God, I we're hate not going to be phrase. able, we can only do a little bit this window. We're going to do a little bit next window. And anything that we do do, we have to do it understanding that it has to work for next year and the year after and the year after. It's a process. So he's open with that. And then Estevez echoed that same thing and said it's a process and it's going to take time. And then Zanata said, hey, you may not have heard this. It's a process. This is going to take some time. And over the course of the press conference, that phrase was uttered something like 14 times. And in his final <laughs> summation of the whole thing, Zanata literally said it three or four times in one actual answer. He said, I know you're tired of hearing this. It's a process which you're probably tired of hearing, but it is a process and don't worry because it's a process. Like they, I have never heard this organization hit the brakes harder 
in terms of expectations in my life, which is insane because over the next 20, 48 hours, they've gone crazy trying to get stuff done that like they've never done before. So I'm hoping it means that they're going to under promise and over deliver as a philosophy, because that's the way I think you should do business. But it was like, I've, I've never seen them slow roll. Because usually in the preseason, it's like, man, we're super excited. We got these guys in. We think this guy's going to be great. This guy's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. We're going to score a bunch of goals. No one's going to score on us. None of that. It was all like, man, we're going to suck. Y'all be ready for that. <laughs> and they didn't say it that way. But that's what that's the whole press conference was basically like, y'all relax. It's going to be a long season. I, w- I couldn't believe it. I figured it out. They haven't done any transfer business. They haven't put any bids in for anyone. It was all the VP of marketing just at work getting FC Dallas's name about. And that's where they're like, oh, shit. Sorry, guys. <laughs> well, when you think about it, at the time of that press conference, they still had like eight open roster spots. They had an open DP spot. They had not, they'd only brought in one player, Nanu, and that was it. They didn't have another keeper. They didn't have any action on Velasco. They didn't have any action on Areola, right? It's like they, they got one draft pick under contract. And like all these gaping holes, Justin Shea's on his way out the door. So you can see why, like on that particular day, they were probably like, man, we got to slow the roll and get people to relax because this is going to take a while. Well, I think maybe like if you ask them today, they might have, or maybe if we ask them next week after they finalize some of these deals, they might feel differently. But um, it was really weird. One of the stranger, boring press conference, but one of the most interesting in that regard that I can remember. Hmm. I'm actually reading uh, one of the times, or two of the times, uh, Zanata said it's a process, and he's almost apologized. I mean, he does apologize, but just, yeah, apologizing for almost how bad the year will be in hopes that next year will be better. That's, yeah. that's encouraging. Yeah, I mean, th- that's the thing. is like I watched out of that press conference going, man, this season's going to suck. <laughs> that's what it felt like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I there there's a aspect to that uh, there's an aspect to that that gives me hope that maybe they finally figured it out, uh, and then there's another part of that that makes me like, man, if these guys are already pissing on the season, <laughs> well, yeah. that's, that's a terrible sign because they never do that. So, well, uh, you know, the, to be the determined. One, the way I flip that and feel positive about it is that it means that they're not panicking. Right. They're like, okay, if we can't get it, what we want right this minute, we'll wait till the next window and that's fine. And we'll be okay. We got enough faith in this coach and this TD that we're, I mean, they, the place could be misplaced. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I almost like the fact that they, they believe in the current dudes they've hired enough that they're not going to panic signing the wrong guy. Like they didn't keep Dom Dwyer, for example, like when they traded for Dom Dwyer, they could have just kept him. Right, rather than mm-hmm. buying him out, yeah. no reason why yeah, they couldn't yeah. have. Except that Dom Dwyer hadn't scored since 2019, so that would have been a terrible idea at that money he was going to make. So I'm glad they didn't, you know. And so that idea that like we're not going to do something stupid and panicky, we're going to take our time. Now, if they spend 15 million on Velasco, I'm going to I'm going to red flag this statement, but you know, I, I'm actually hoping that it means that they are going to do things the right way and get the right pieces and not panic. Yeah, the the, the whole this is a process thing is a force field. It's it's an excuse. And, yeah. you know, if you're a Cowboy fan, it drove you nuts with Jason Garrett for umpteen kajillion years. And when they say that, you also hearken back to it was probably said a lot when uh, Oscar left and Lucci got hired. But, man, it certainly now makes it feel like the two and a half years of uh, two and a half seasons of Lucci was a total waste of time. Right. Because. 
that was a process that never delivered. So uh, it, at some point, everybody uh, as an organization needs to stop crutching on it's a process and actually accomplish something. Um, so while I appreciate them kind of asking everybody to take the reins and pull back a little bit uh, with everything else that's going on, they're also creating an environment that everybody's now suddenly getting kind of giddy and excited and they're going to have to start delivering on that stuff. So when you throw in the mix of the other element that we didn't talk about last week, which is, you know, they have hired a vice president of marketing and they've hired a guy with a really decent resume who apparently is making uh, some significant uh, coin uh, based on some reports that I've gotten on what that job ended up paying. Uh, they've got a guy with some skins on the wall. Now, what he is actually able to pull off in terms of creating uh, and, and and getting people to come to the stadium is, is just as much to be determined as everything else. But I find it hard to believe that Dan and Clark Hunt went out and spent a lot of money on a VP of marketing uh, it, it, well, it seems coincidental, less than coincidental that they went out and spent all this money on a VP for marketing right about when we started to find out that they're about to blow a kajillion dollars on a guy from South America and make a blockbuster trade for a player from inside the league. Yeah, that, that's what's so funny about that press conference. Like in hindsight, 48 hours later, it feels really weird. And, and that's also what I mean by I hope some of the aggressiveness that they've showed in the last week or so uh, off the field has will we'll turn over to other departments. I hope they bring that same aggressive mentality to the marketing with the new guy and the new budget. What, what we hope is a new budget. You know, it, it's it's a it, as we as we as we've said in this podcast, there's a different vibe around the club all of a sudden. You know, and I hope it's not a mirage. I hope it's real. You know, I hope it's the hunts sort of waking up in some way with this organization because that would be pretty exciting. You know, change is never boring for us. You know, change is always good. Hopefully it's change that results in positive things for the club and not horrible things, but you know, it'll hopefully give us lots to talk about if nothing else. Okay, guys. Well, uh, when will you both be back at practice next time? Well, I was going to go today until I realized it was going to be 28 degrees during training, um, which is not about me whistling out because I've stood up there when it's cold before. But training is um, subject to change. And when that changes, it's because of weather usually. So like if it's super cold or super rainy, they might stay inside and do gym stuff or they might go to a facility nearby and they don't bother to tell anybody in the media Right. So like I've, I've had times where I've stood out there for 45 minutes and thinking maybe they're doing film and finally I'll text somebody. They'll go, Oh no, they've been working in, in, inside since like 9am. I'll be like, Oh, thanks for letting me know. So I didn't risk an Drive hour drive Arlington. each way yeah. in yeah. 28 degree weather on the off chance that, I mean, they tended to be in that they, they were outside at least based on the pictures. So I would have been fine, but um, you know, two hours out of my day in a freezing cold day, I didn't risk it. So if it warms up a little bit, and stays clear over the next couple of days. I might go out Saturday possibly, but um, hmm. you know there'll be some training next week. So you know whatever Monday, Wednesday, something next week too for sure. Hmm. Media relations, interesting concept. Yeah, well, you know it's on a normal day. The only one that goes is me, you know, and so they're not going to spam like a hundred people. And I only go once a week, so it's not like they're going to reach out just because practice changed. It's like I just it's also kind of hard. I mean, I remember like um, you know when I used to go regularly and. I mean, I text uh, Jason or Leanne and, like, hey, why aren't the players out? And they're like, what do you mean they're not out? The, then they text a uh, coach and it's like, oh, no, we went to performance indoor training instead. 
You see, here's what I'm thinking. If you're interested in getting media people to show up, you should make it an environment in which they can depend on that kind of information. So why not have some sort of source? I mean, we've got chat groups, texting, uh, Slack, any kind of thing where you could just have a group of people that you know want to come to practice and you could provide updates there. There's my pro tip. Yeah, yeah that's a really good idea. Right? You should be yeah. in marketing or something. How, that's not more that's just basic <laughs> oh. like here's how you get people to come to your thing you like make it easy for them and and not put them in the situation yeah. that you were in this morning buzz which is do i want to drive an hour only to find out practice isn't happening outside and i can't watch it yeah the weird thing is that like 99 percent of media don't want to watch training it's like i'm like myself and dan are the weird people that want to that do so i totally understand that like most of the time they actually don't really care um, you know, people that even people that come to training, they only come for like a little bit at the end just to get the one player they want, you know, yeah. cause you can't shoot it anymore other than the very beginning or the very end. So you have to, you have to wait for the PR guy to tell you that it's okay to shoot. And sometimes they don't tell you that until the players are already stopping. So it's hard to know and it's not optimum. Um, you know, and so I, I mean, I get why it's not a big deal that they don't, why they don't put a lot of effort into it because honestly, they don't want you watching training. They only do because they're forced to, basically, you know, <laughs> Actually, by the league. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I uh, I saw a, a thread on Twitter from uh, Jeremiah Oshan, and he was uh, talking about, you know, how I guess Seattle are making it harder for, for uh, journalists up there to get to training. And the majority, of the, I mean, by the sounds of it, FC Dallas is one of the better places for being able to at least watch training. Most of the league now are like, nope, can't come near us. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. There are teams that uh, close training completely across the board, but I don't think Dallas can afford that. You know, they still need to try and develop goodwill. Well, you know what? How many other MLS teams have somebody like Buzz that has been doing this uh, for literally 25 years? By the way, this is the 25th season of coverage of this club by Buzz and Third Degree, so congratulations on that, Buzz. Thanks, man. You've been here for almost the whole time, too. I know, but it's really far more you than me, and uh, and I, it's, a, it's a great asset that this club and its fans have, and it's certainly one that uh, if you were... Well, anyway, you know where I'm going with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a cool deal, so that, that's pretty exciting. Um, okay, well, I, anything else that we need to get done here? We've uh, chit-chatted a, a lot in the last hour and a half, it feels like. Plus. Yeah, that was a big podcast today. Uh, got two things. Uh, tried to confirm Justin Che's uh, status and whether he traveled with team permission. No comment. Yeah, can, uh, I ask, can I ask a question about the Justin Che thing? This is driving me nuts. What, why is Justin Che going to leave this team and go play for a first division Bundesliga, Bundesliga team just to sit there and not get starting time when he could be in Dallas fighting for a starting position in Major League Soccer? Well, other than the family connection, he's always wanted to go to Germany. I mean, maybe he has some sort of assurances he's going to be in the mix. I mean, I don't know. I haven't talked to him, so I can't really tell you. You know, I, he's going to go, for a, go to a place that's going to be much harder to break in than it is here. You know, Hoffenheim's better than FC Dallas. I hate to tell you that. No, so it's going to be tougher. I, I agree, but if you can't yeah. get a, if you can't win a starting spot on FC Dallas, you were the odds of you doing that in Germany are uh, a far worse. And it does make me wonder who are the people, parents, agents, whatever that are, you know, looking out for that guy and giving him good advice. 
I don't know the answer to the second half of that question. Um, my assumption would be that he feels he can develop better there, which implies that he thinks he's going to get better coaching there, you know, or, or maybe he thinks he's going to go out on loan somewhere because, you know, you're right. That it'll be hard for him to get in the first team, which means he's probably going to play in their reserve team who play in the regional league. And I guarantee you that the regional league is definitely not better than North Texas SC. And it probably is worse in a lot of ways. So I'm not sure it's a great move for him, but you know, these kids all want to go at 18, man. They can't wait to get out of here. So, you know, more power to him. Good luck. I hope he does really good things. Yeah. He's alone. So, you know, hopefully he'll crush it enough to get a sell. Yeah. I just, I always feel like that these situations uh, are one of those deals where we have to consider these are kids that see FC Dallas as home and they're ready to leave the nest, whether they should or not. And the lifted skirt of playing in Europe is just such a high allure that there's very little the hunts in Dallas can do to get them to understand why it's better for them to stay. Yeah, I agree. It's a good question. I don't, I don't have an answer. Sorry, Dan. I didn't mean to cut you off in the middle of that, but I've been wanting to ask that question. So my no, apologies Dan, to you, sir. That's totally valid. Uh, the other thing is uh, Nanu, uh, he's uh, recovered from his little bout with COVID, didn't get to play at all in AFCON, but uh, Guinea-Bissau got knocked out on Wednesday, so he will be in DFW at some point. The team doesn't have a, a time frame just yet because, you know, uh, well, as of this morning, because, you know, he's only just been knocked out. But hopefully uh, hopefully, what I talked about last week doesn't happen with him. How many FC Dallas uh, supporter group fans meet him at the airport with their with their official Mork from Ork hand signal saying Shazbot at him <laughs> when he gets awesome. off the plane? That would be awesome. <laughs> There's got uh, to be. I, I, I've been to all but one of those where the players arrive at the airport. Uh, I'm going to say a handful. <laughs> because Man. there's been times where I've been the only one. Even if it's just somebody in rainbow suspenders, uh, that would be fantastic. And we need video of that, please. I must see that. Third Degree, the podcast has been brought to you by Soccer 90. Soccer 90 is your source for all FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Everything from jerseys, scarves, tees, and more. All Third Degree listeners receive 25% off all of their gear when you use the code ThirdDegree at checkout at Soccer90.com. All right. Well, Dan, thank you. It's always good to talk to you, sir. Thank you. Looking forward to your coverage of this club in the 2022 season. And Buzz, of course, everybody is thankful you are around as well for another and 25th season of coverage. Oh, thanks, man. I'm going to make a special 25th season T-shirt, which everybody should get when it drops. <laughs> Will it cost $25? Uh, it'll be the same price as all the other T-shirts, you know. But uh, I thought it would be fun to have one that was just for this season alone and then it goes away. So limited run. Man, I got to get you the kick around T-shirt that I got for you. Uh, I still haven't gotten that to you. Yeah, That's how, yeah. long, how long it's been since we've seen each other last in person because I swear I got that T-shirt back in like October. Let's do lunch. <laughs> I'll have your people call my people. Uh, do you think Nico will buy us lunch? No, he doesn't like you. Already? That didn't yeah. take long. <laughs> I don't think he knows who we are. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan, new and old alike. We will speak to you next week on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. It's a process. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast.